eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their All right. Good morning. Afternoon. Evening, brunch time, lunch time, beer barrel time. Bring back the beer barrel time. I'm serious about that time. I'm going to keep saying it every year, and eventually it's going to happen time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Thursday afternoon. Nice and pleasant Thursday afternoon in the mid-70s, if you want your uh, your weather report. Of course, uh, you know, Tennessee's hosting Kentucky this weekend, so you know it's not going to be in the mid-70s then. I think the low is going to be around 39 or so on uh, on Saturday, which is the dead, dead giveaway that it's Kentucky week because they could play in July, June, August, really whenever. They could play on the surface of the sun, and it would be probably in the mid to upper 30s with some precipitation because that's what happens Kentucky week. And now that I've done a really nice job – uh, complimenting the weather in this young man's state. Uh, let's go join our guest for this podcast uh, from the Cat's Paws, which is Kentucky or the 24-7 Sports Kentucky site. It's our good friend, Derek Terry. Derek, what's up, man? And uh, why is it so cold all the time where you live? Yeah, I don't know. I remember seeing a tweet from you, I think, last year, of the frozen blue tundra. I know you've been calling it yeah. that a long time, but I was – I really – I think at a certain point I started to believe it because I think one year – Actually, the last time Kentucky beat Tennessee in um, Lexington, it was in late October. And the whole year up to that point had been fabulous weather. And then Tennessee rolled in, and I think it was sleeting that night. Mm -hmm. So I think you might have a point there. It was – I have a theory on this, and I'll get to this really quickly because this game's not in uh, Lexington this season. It will be in uh, General Neyland's big old damn house of football about 2.1 miles from here at at, uh, Neyland Stadium. But – the city of Kentucky, specifically that area just away from campus where the artist formerly known as uh, Commonwealth Stadium sits, um, and that's now Kroger Field, and I really have a hard time calling it that, but I'll try. It was built on what I think is an old glacier that has never properly thawed, and I think there's also like some sort of a wind current that like sweeps in through there. It is, every time I go there, the weather is uncomfortable. And I just, I want you to know that I have nothing against, I love the city of Lexington. I got my mother's people are from that area. They're from they're Eastern Kentucky people hazard that area. I love Eastern Kentucky. I love the people there. They're my own people. Um, but the weather, I just do not appreciate. And I just want you to know that. Yeah. I'm gonna look up the weather right now. I've not been outside today, but 66, a little cloudy, but, uh, no, I agree with you. Lexington is a great city. Uh, I think for the stadium, it's, it's a fairly good place to watch a football game. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. Most stadiums now in the SEC, and I think it's probably you know it's it's fine. I will say I don't like the turf as much. I don't know if you had a. It's and it's been that way a few years now. It's nothing new, but I saw a clip yesterday of a game from 2013, and I just think the natural grass it looks so much better. It does, um, but not to get sidetracked. But you know, Tennessee and Kentucky is in the one. There's a strip of of country that. If you take the the U.S. and you look at like sort of longitudinally or whatever, that's probably not a word, but (sighs) basically it's this. It's that in Kentucky and Tennessee, it is hard to have 
basically a sturdy grass field year-round because it is just a little bit too far uh, north to grow Bermuda comfortably year-round, so your field's going to look terrible later in the season. And it's also a little bit too far south for like some of that like fescue type stuff, the mix they grow up in the Midwest. So your field's not going to look very good early in the, you know, early in the season. So basically it's in that one little strip and the Titans have had the same problems for years. It's just, you, you, you know, and if you take, if you go over to Europe and look in the same strip, like just across the the world, you'll see some of their soccer stadiums there have some of the same issues um, because when they've changed some of the rules environmentally, you can't have as much of the, uh, you can't use some of the nasty fertilizer you, you used to use. Long story short, for a few years there, Tennessee struggled with its field and people kept complaining about it. And the reason was there were some environmental laws that changed what you could and couldn't use. And so they contemplated for a second going to turf there, which would have been an affront to one of the best agricultural programs in the country, which is right there at UT Knoxville. But, you know, it's uh, it's it's tough because it, it's uh, they ended up sticking with grass and they brought in some ridiculous light fixture uh, heating thing from Europe that they bought uh, from, from, from the Netherlands or somewhere that, that, you know, they were able to get it fixed. But long story short, that might be the reason why they went to turf up there. I don't know. Or maybe it was just to save a few bucks and I just went on a two-minute rant for no reason. I don't know. Well, the odd thing is the practice fields are still grass. So mm-hmm. I thought maybe, you know, Stoops just wanted a, the same sur- surface that they would practice on. Maybe you would use that too for the game. But I would say you're right because the baseball stadium used to be uh, natural grass. They started to add some turf actually when they renovated that stadium. But, of course, they built the new one. It's all turf. So I would I would say you're right as to why they've done that. You know, Derek, when I look at, at this Kentucky team, and we're going to have time later to talk about sort of just the complete overhaul Mark Stoops and his staff have done for that program, and I think people around the league recognize the work that they've done up there. I know Kentucky fans are kind of itching and scratching to get to the next level, but, I mean, the fact that they've gotten what they've gotten has been a, a really positive step for that program. But with this season in particular – you know, it's been a weird year. 2020 has sucked out loud for everyone. There is just no question about that. Um, and it's been weird. You know, you had COVID affecting camp. You know, you got social distancing rules, only a few fans in stadiums. It's just been a weird year. But the first couple of weeks of Kentucky season, first few weeks, have been about as weird as any I can remember for for anyone in the league. Because Kentucky rushed for more than 400 yards in a game and lost which almost never happens, ever. Uh, And then Kentucky had 157 total yards of offense in a game and won, and you almost never see that happen at any level of football. How in the hell has that happened? Yeah, you say, you know, a team rushes for 400 yards, you almost never hear them losing. Actually, the second time that's happened under Mark Stoops, and the first time was in Knoxville uh, in 2016. Kentucky ran for over 400 yards and actually lost that game by double digits. But, no, I mean, that's a great point. The, the offense last weekend was was really as bad as it had been. I would say going back, in, in terms of having a healthy quarterback, because there were some games last year where Wilson was out, Sawyer Smith had pretty much gotten to a point where he couldn't throw the ball anymore, and they had some bad offensive performances before going to Lynn Bowden. But 2018, there were a few games that played out very similar to that, that – the defense still played well, but not to the point where they you know intercepted six passes because that's really what saved them last week was – they basically had two – sorry about my cat there. They basically had sorry, two – Gus barks on this podcast the entire time, <laughs> so don't worry about it. They basically had uh, two pick sixes last week. They had one real one, and then the other one, Josh Pascal intercepted and returned all the way down to, I think, the one-yard line, maybe the two. So it set up an easy score. So, I mean, the defense really played, I guess, complimentary football, you could call it, last week, whereas the two weeks prior, they really hadn't. Uh, against Ole Miss especially, they didn't force any turnovers and – and I don't want to get off too far on a tangent here, but some of these numbers I think for Kentucky might be a little bit misleading because I think all of a sudden they're like pretty good in the turnover margin, at least ranked in the league, whereas they didn't force a single turnover. Yeah, I think, the first I th- I think they're like in the mid-20s nationally in that area now. Yeah, so I mean it took one game to kind of change that because the first two weeks the only thing we were talking about was how they couldn't force any turnovers. They had one pass breakup the first two games. So they really struggled against Bo Nix, and then they really struggled against Matt Corral and Ole Miss before last week, really putting together a performance that I don't think anybody really saw coming against an air raid type team. So I think this team so far, it's kind of hard to gauge where they are. Auburn was kind of a weird game because they should have had the lead going into halftime after a, a blown call, I thought. Yes, where it, was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a blown call. 
Yeah. So, I mean, he, he was in, they didn't call it. It, it should have been 14 to eight going into halftime. Instead, it was eight, seven because Kentucky ended up throwing an interception that should have been a pick six, but got called back for targeting. So that was kind of a weird game. And then early in the second half, they had two really brutal turnovers when it was still a game that led to Auburn touchdowns. And that score looked a little bit, I think worse than what the game was. Um, but then Ole Miss just didn't play good enough defense, simply put, and lost that game. And then last week, they play a very weird game, but win by 22 points. So I don't know if anyone really has a good feel for how good this team might be. What about sort of the the, the feeling inside the program? And I ask that with a large caveat here. To state the obvious, none of us are in the complex ever right now. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that like – you know, normally we're around there, at least in Tennessee, we're around there. Like I'm on that campus like four days a week or so without question, you know, during, and maybe sometimes more during basketball season just kind of depends. But now uh, I will be in Neyland stadium like five times this year. And it will be for two and a half hours before the game, the game, and then two and a half or two hours and 45 minutes after the game, and then got to come back home and finish work. And that's the entirety of the time that that I'm actually physically sort of anywhere near the football building. So it's it's really hard to gauge from Zoom and from phone conversations on the side what's actually happening in a program, right? Like it's just – it's hard to tell. But to the extent that you can tell, what's the mood inside that program? Now I would imagine that the spirits are lifted after last week, right? Definitely lifted in the sense that, you know, you have Mark Stoops, who is a defensive head coach, and his whole career he's been at Kentucky after scrimmages in the preseason. You could pretty much tell how things went depending on how his mood was. Uh, so last week, of course, horrible offensive performance. But his defense had six interceptions. And, and he's a defensive guy. 22 points. So, yeah, he was happy. You know, he was really thrilled with how the defense played, whereas the Ole Miss game, uh, and uh, certainly he had every right to be upset with how poorly the defense played that game. But uh, the offense was really good, and there wasn't really much talk about that. So I would say the mood overall, winning last week definitely helped because this was a season – it wasn't just local people this year. I mean, you'll get a lot of U.K. fans kind of wondering why there's no respect, whatever you want to say in the preseason. And maybe some years they've had a legitimate gripe. Like last year, 2018 or 2019, excuse me, they were picked sixth preseason coming off a 10-1 year. And I, I kind of get where that might have been a little low. They didn't finish six, but they didn't finish that great either. But this year, they actually had some people. You know, they were once the adjusted AP poll came out, they were in the top 25 to start the year. Uh, you get some people on SEC Network saying they're kind of a sleeper team in the East, and then they come out and lose the first two games of the year. Yeah, they, and, they let me down because I jumped on that bandwagon too. I, yeah. I told people not just before the season. I told people all like in spring and the summer. I said, "Are you? Do you see what Kentucky's got up front? Do you see that offensive line? Do you see that defensive line? Do you, guys, this is a good football team." And then they went out there and gave up a, <laughs> a half a hundred points, basically, or half a billion points in the first week. And it's like, come on, guys. But yeah, no, yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, so I think there were some people who were really surprised with how that had played out. Uh, and then there was not, at least for me, there was not much confidence. Because I'd watch what Mississippi State did to LSU, and as it turns out, maybe LSU's defense was just really bad because Mississippi State's really done nothing since then against Arkansas or against Kentucky. So kind of the reality I think that I've come to live in is that, well, like you were just saying, Kentucky has a very good offensive line for its standards, probably historically good offensive line. Uh, the defensive line's full of veteran guys who have played a lot of football. They have some talented linebackers. Um, I mean, even the running backs are pretty good. Chris Rodriguez, I, I think, will be will become a household name, maybe not not to the extent that Benny Snell was in the league, but a good, solid SEC running back mm-hmm. before his time's gone. But where an SEC schedule has really made this a glaring problem I think it kind of exposes teams problems a little bit more than in a normal year is they simply don't have the athletes at receiver to or a quarterback really for that matter in terms of you can't be one-dimensional in the SEC and beat or, or at least be at that level that maybe they were talked about preseason like I, I feel pretty confident they'll beat Missouri I think they'll beat Vanderbilt no, no question I think they'll probably beat South Carolina but Will they beat Tennessee without a passing game? Will they beat Georgia without a passing game? Sure as hell not going to beat Alabama without a passing game. Florida, I don't know. Florida's pretty bad on defense, uh, and they've actually played Florida decently well despite only winning one game against those guys. Yeah, they have. So in that regard, like, you know, I think think they're a solid team. Probably in a normal year, I think could have won eight games, which for Kentucky is still pretty good. But 
that's the one obvious area that Kentucky going forward is going to have to improve because I think the defense will stay pretty good as long as Stoops is there. Uh, and I think Eddie Grant is actually a, a pretty good offensive coordinator, but if you don't have kind of the athletes to scare a team on the perimeter, it's going to be really hard for you to beat teams that, that can match up with you up front. How how have they gotten into that position? Because, I, I you know, I'm a big Eddie Grant guy. I always have been. I think he's one of the, the better guys to deal with in the league. I really enjoyed covering him when he was here. Always had a lot of success for for his his CV is an impressive one, um, I I think. Um, but but when you look at when you look at receiver, you know, because that's normally a position where you know you can find guys off the beaten path at wide receiver. You know, you can find guys who might not be the fastest, but man, they're six five and they can jump a little bit, or maybe they're only five foot seven, but dang, they're quick and. You can normally find guys there, and you can go like the JUCO route, and you can go to any random Mississippi or you know um, Kansas, you know or Texas, California JUCO, and find a couple of receivers. I'm wondering how did they know going into the season just how much of a concern that was going to be, and why did they not maybe look to go the JUCO route or something to find something to fix that. I think there was just hope that having such a good offensive line and a strong grounding game, I honestly think they thought with Terry back there, as long as he was healthy, and even Joey Gatewood being in the mix now that he's eligible, there's probably some optimism they could run a somewhat similar offense to last season and saw success. And you've actually, if you've watched Kentucky play, I mean, they've run a lot of the same plays with Terry that they ran last year with Lynn. Mm-hmm. But really, I just think they got into a issue where they just didn't really recruit well enough. They kind of went all in on South Florida recruits there from about 2017 to 2019. So, I mean, you got some of those 2017 kids now who are seniors. And Josh Ali is really the only kid who's kind of panned out out of that group. A lot of the other ones have transferred. Maybe they just didn't live up to their – I wouldn't even say hype because they weren't even really highly recruited guys. They just kind of haven't developed, I guess, the way Kentucky hoped. And I do think that's changing for the future. Uh, they have – I'm guessing if you turn on a Kentucky game, I don't know, maybe at the end of November, you will be seeing much different players out there than what you'll be seeing on Saturday. That's my guess. So I like some of the young kids they've recruited. And then uh, their 2021 class uh, is probably the best skill position guys they've recruited in a number of years. That's my opinion. So I think they are working to fix that. It just happened to run into a year this year where – you, know, you lost Lynn Bowden, who was one of those guys from Ohio who had panned out, who was their best receiver. I mean, even Ahmad Wagner was a really interesting story last year, and we didn't get to see as much of him as they should have because of the wide receiver or the uh, quarterback issues. But he was a six-five guy who had played basketball at Iowa, came here, was a four-star actually football player out of high school, but just wanted to play hoops instead. He was uh, a really good target early in the year, and that kind of had them two guys on the outside who yeah. are pretty good with Josh Ali being a third receiver. And now this year you get to a point where you lose both those guys and it's just Josh who on a normal team would be a pretty good kind of complimentary piece, but instead he's forced into being the number one guy. And they've had some injury issues too. Some guys who probably would have been out there, but yeah, I just think it kind of got to a point in recruiting where they just didn't do a good enough job really recruiting those skill position guys. And it's, it's kind of caught up to them this year and they're having to, I guess, phase in a few new guys for the year's over with and then probably play a lot of those young guys next season. Just seemed to me like a JUCO or grad transfer or something there would have made would have made some sense. But you know what? Well, I, they were they were really tight on numbers this year too. There wasn't really a whole lot of flexibility because they returned so many guys from last year's team and then they were really building on the success of the 2018 season and signed their best class in school history last year. So they were trying to bring in as many high school guys as possible. And I, th- I think a couple of those guys will end up playing this year. But just really wasn't a whole lot of flexibility, I don't think, in, in terms of numbers to get it done this year. Well, that also leads to some questions with the quarterback, and we're going to discuss that too. But before we do that, we're going to we're going to step away and we're going to pay some bills, listen to some products, some services, some goods, in-house ads, other fun things. And uh, we'll be right back here talking to Kentucky, Tennessee football with Derek Terry from Cat's Paws here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, brought to you by whatever products and services and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio on a Thursday afternoon. How are you doing? Hope you're well. Hope you're enjoying your time out there listening to this podcast. And if not, I mean, you're already here. So, I mean, whatever, we already tricked you. Uh, guys, we're talking Tennessee-Kentucky football with our good friend Derek Terry from Cat's Paws. And before we do that, though, before we go back into that, I'm going to remind you again, please go in there, guys, and rate and review this podcast. Uh, I don't care. Wherever you can cast a fine pod, you can find this podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher. We are on every single one of those platforms and then some. So please go out there. We're happy to do this for free. It's a labor of love. We really do enjoy it. But the only thing that we ask in return is that you please go in there. Please go in there and hit that subscribe button. Please rate and review this podcast. There's nothing you can do that will help us spread the love faster uh, than doing that. I can look at the numbers every week. It's amazing how far we've grown this thing. It's been really, really fun. Uh, we really enjoyed doing it, um, but we can we can do more. We can still do more. And uh, if you rate and review and subscribe to this podcast, that will help us do that. And Derek, while we've got you on here, uh, please go ahead and plug your podcast too, because I know you, you do a really good podcast too, and there's all kinds of stuff out there for UK fans. Yeah, uh, I have a podcast called Kentucky Daily. Uh, it's, it's like the name says, it's an everyday podcast, which is kind of unique to the UK market. No one else is doing that. Of course, there are radio shows that are on every day, but but no podcasts. Uh, mostly football talk right now, but we'll go over the news. Is of course basketball overlaps coming soon, so that'll be there. But yeah, Kentucky Daily is the name of it. If you guys want to check it out, awesome. And. Uh, have you had much baseball to talk on there recently? Because I know the Reds uh, are done for the year, which I know disappoints you and my father greatly. Um, but, uh, hey, they, they made it back. You, 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 you taking care of my boy, Senzel? I've known him since he was about uh, seven years old. That's my boy. Take care of him up there, all right? Well, first of all, I want to know how, if your dad's a Reds fan, how would you become a Cubs fan? Mom's side of the family. <sighs> and also, and, and my, um, my, great, uh, my great uncle, uh, great uncle, yeah, great uncle is uh, Rabbit Moranville, the Hall of Famer, who was the last person who was a Cubs player and manager at the same time. Now, the funny story there is he w- was the last person who was served as a Cubs manager and player at the same time. Um, but he got canned for drinking too much, um, <laughs> as will happen occasionally with members of my family. Guilty as charged. But so he had to go to the minors for a couple years and get sobered up. Came back, got signed by the Cardinals, and won a freaking World Series. So. Even that is frustrating to an extent, but uh, yeah, he was uh, he, he was basically one of the he came up first with the Boston Braves and was one of the really bad influences on Babe Ruth early in his career. Um, so yeah, there was uh, it, it's um, it, it's it's funny, but yeah, that's so between the fact that the my great uncle uh, was a player manager there and they were on TV every day, um, that just sort of kind of most a lot of them mom's side of the family is just Cubs fans. So that's, that's kind of, and my dad used to take me to Riverfront every year. Oh yeah. You know, he, yeah. he, and he got me like, a, he, he like had me meet Chris Sabo and got me a Chris Sabo autograph back when he was wearing his Rex specs and Eric Davis and all those guys. Um, but the first time that he took me there, he took me there every freaking summer trying to get me to be a Reds fan. Um, but George Bell hit a grand slam, hit two home runs. One was a grand slam for the Cubs against the the, the Reds. And I think my dad just kind of gave up that day. He was like, it's just, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, it no, uh, uh, didn't happen during the 90 World Series run or whatever. Like, didn't happen. Like, he just – he tried yeah. so hard, but didn't work. Well, in hindsight, <laughs> he probably made a good call because it's been a struggle my whole lifetime. But, no, Sinzel, I uh, I stick my neck out for that kid a lot. I, I don't think he's had the pro career he's wanted. He's obviously had some injury issues. He's had some, like, vertigo issues. Just 
I think he had the COVID issue this year. He was out for like two weeks right whenever he was starting to get hot again. So I like Senzel a lot. Uh, it, I don't think the Reds have done him many favors. They've, they've kind of moved him around a lot, trying to just get him in a spot where he could come up and help the big league club. And Never in a million fields. years thought he'd be a center fielder. Never yeah, in a million years. Yeah, it's where he's settled. I mean, I honestly think there's probably a path for him to return to the infield. Uh, Votto's days are probably coming to an end in the field. We'll see what they do with the universal DH. But I think Moustakas will probably move over to first at some point. And yep. No yep. real second baseman coming up in the system. Like maybe Jonathan India from Florida, if you remember him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he's playing some infield. But, um, no, so I think Sinzel's a, a big part of this club, and he was someone I was happy they got. Uh, I wish they could have been in – you know, I wish they could have had that Nationals luck where when they were drafting high, they could have run into like a Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg. Didn't happen. Uh, but as it is, I'll, I'll remain hopeful that the got, Reds will win. Got Castellanos, though, and that got, broke my heart when they got Castellanos. But, yeah, last thing, it breaks my heart that uh, – like I, I've known both uh, Nick Senzel and Lane Thomas since they were both like eight years old or whatever. Used, used to help coach their team. They played with my brother, them and Todd Kelly Jr. and Blaze Taylor and all those guys played ball, three sports together growing up. And uh, now I got to watch Senzel, Nick play for the Reds and, and <laughs> Lane play for the damn Cardinals. And it's just the worst. It is the worst. I love those kids to death, though. Back to the topic at hand here, Tennessee-Kentucky football. We've been talking about – Kentucky's kind of passing game issues because we know Kentucky can run the ball right most weeks we know that Kentucky has gotten better defensively we know some of the except for the Ole Miss game but Ole Miss offense is pretty good too so in theory you know the pieces are there for Kentucky to have some openings in the passing game right you run the ball that well you should be able to hit some play action balls you should be able to do some things that's not really happened um, with a couple of exceptions, that really hasn't happened. And I know that that maybe they don't have a number true one or true two receiver, um, but I also wonder how much of it is the quarterback because I'll be honest, I Terry Wilson's a great story, man. He is a he is a, a good you know people like being around him. He's worked hard. He you know transferred over from Oregon to Kentucky. He's done all the work. He's put in the work to to be a good player. He's he's earned his chance. He's trying to take advantage of it. I just have never been impressed with him throwing the football. And he makes decisions that leave me scratching my head and his accuracy sometimes leave me scratching my head. How much better can he be in the passing game? Or at this point, is he just, is, is he who he is? I think he's who he is. I mean, I think you get to a certain point in your college career when if you don't, if you're not accurate, I guess you just don't have it. I don't know if that's something that can really be taught. Last week was like an all systems failure. I mean, he missed some easy throws whenever he did get the ball out to guys, they either dropped it didn't do much with it after the catch. Uh, he, I think he's very much like a rhythm-type quarterback. If you look at his numbers against Ole Miss, and, again, Ole Miss is terrible, so take that for what it's worth. But 14 for 18, no touchdown passes, but he did what was asked of him. Uh, he, he's fairly accurate in terms of – like his completion percentages are always good, but yeah. they only pretty much throw swing passes. They don't take many shots downfield. I think they oh, – they're good for about one a game if they're kind of running the offense the way they want to, and they've not completed one of those yet. So, he actually looked better than I thought he would, though. Coming off injury against Auburn, he fit one in on a post route to Allen Daly that was between two guys that was pretty solid. Um, but he, I do think there's always a little bit left on, you know, a little bit of meat left on the bone every time he's out there. Where if the game kind of gets going, and he starts getting pressured a little bit. I don't think he, I don't think he does a very good job going through his reads. There's just not really a whole lot of. I guess playmaking kind of on the fly with him, whereas he's kind of a one read kind of guy. If he's there, he'll hit him typically if he's open. But, you know, I, he's another guy that I think they're pretty loyal to. He had the injury last year. He was a quarterback when they won 10 games, which is a very symbolic thing. If you see any UK Twitter, that's like the go-to fact for people like coming into the year was, oh, Terry Wilson's 12-3 and three as a starter, yeah. as if a QB starting record is a real stat. It's not a real stat. I want to point that out. Um, and if you're having to go to a stat like that, it might mean that you don't have a whole lot of other supporting evidence. Uh, as to why he might be a good quarterback. But he is a good story, like uh, like you said. He's a, certainly a hardworking kid to come back from that injury. Um, but, you know, they have young – really the highest-rated kid on their entire roster now is Joey, Joey Gatewood, yep. if you go by the high school uh, rankings. That's right. that, that, that was my next question, so the floor yeah. is just yours on that. Go ahead. Well, you know, Gatewood, he got in there last week. Uh, it was garbage time. He played one series, threw one pass. It was probably the best throw of the night. It was dropped but it was a rope to uh, Cleveland Thomas. I don't know how much he'll play this weekend. I've kind of gone back and forth on it. I do think he will for sure have some packages, though, Like unlike last week where he really only got in at the end. I think there will actually be some plays designed for him this week. He's just too good of an athlete, and 
they're not getting enough production from the quarterback spot right now where uh, you just would would refuse to go to him. So I don't know if it'll be a thing where he comes in and plays the whole game. I think things would have to be going pretty poorly for Kentucky, which I think there's a decent chance that will happen. But what I was saying in the first segment about maybe seeing some new guys, I think he'll be a guy before the year's over. I think he'll be the starting quarterback and at least have that chance to uh, go into next season as the guy because Wilson will be gone next year. But Bo Allen's another kid they like a lot. He's a local kid, a much different style of quarterback, a much more pro-style type. Uh, he's not a statue by any means, but he's not going to be a, a guy you're going to use in the power run game a lot like Joey will be. Yeah, I'm just curious about that because, you know, technically no one has to go next year unless they want to. Um, but I, I'm just I'm, – I'm wondering if – you know, it's hard sometimes when you've got like an experienced kind of veteran who everybody in the program likes and everybody in the locker room respects him. It can be really hard to – cast that dude aside I've seen that several times and if you don't do it the right way you can really give yourself problems in the locker room when you do that too I mean that that can be an issue so I mean there's always that risk but I want to flip it the other side of the ball now and I want to talk about I know uh, Kentucky has done a really nice job under Stoops they've gotten bigger up front on both sides they've gotten some you know, some men there now playing ball there and and they're they're pretty good tacklers there at linebacker and, and they've They've got some good some good players there, but I wonder when I look at the secondary, I still see some some holes there, and I still see an area where, you know, you talk about guys like Josh Palmer for Tennessee, you know, guys like that who can really kind of hurt you, you know, physically in terms of the way they run and the way they jump and their physicality. And Kentucky still, to me, looks susceptible to that. And I know Ole Miss has a funky offense, so you can kind of take that with a grain of salt or whatever. And I know last week against the Air Raid, they did a pretty nice job, obviously, shutting that down. Um, but what do you look at when you look at that secondary? Because I last week was impressive with some of the plays they made, but I also see still some holes in the back end there. Unless I'm, you know, maybe I'm just, after watching Georgia for a week, maybe you just go, okay, well, of, of course they're humans. But, I mean, is that yeah. is that unfair? No, no, I don't think so. Uh, it was for sure the biggest disappointment on the team. The defense as a whole was, but particularly those guys in the back end. Kelvin Joseph, I actually mentioned highly rated guys on the roster. It's actually technically Kelvin Joseph who is uh, – a transfer from LSU. He was the top 50 kid out of high school. He's eligible this year. Started from day one. I mean, once he got eligible, he had a really – I thought it was maybe overhyped a little bit how poorly he played against Auburn. It was more that Seth Williams just made two really fantastic plays in that mm-hmm. game that he happened to be uh, covering him when those plays happened. He, he did get a pick last week, but – had a really bad sequence at Ole Miss where it looked like he didn't get the call on the sidelines and he let his guy pick up a first down. And then he basically quit on the next play and the kid scored a touchdown. It was a really rough sequence that, you know, had a lot of people disappointed. But the weird thing about Kentucky's secondary is it's it's a lot of veteran guys and their numbers were way overhyped last year. They finished second nationally in passing defense, but it was mainly because, I mean, you remember – you know, people listening to this podcast will remember just kind of how messed up the SEC East was in terms of quarterbacks last year and yeah. even the SEC West. I think they played something like five or six backup quarterbacks last season, including Tennessee. They played uh, Mauer and Garantano last year. Um, so I thought that played a role. And then they played four games that were all in the rain that were just not really ideal conditions for throwing the football. So it inflated their numbers a little bit. But I do think they have some talented kids, obviously nowhere near what Georgia has. But – if the team has the athletes on the outside to get, you know, get into one-on-one kind of jump ball situations to this point in the season, Kentucky's not done a very good job defending that. And I do think that will be an area that Tennessee can have some success on Saturday. There's a few more things I wanted to talk to you about, Derek. One of them is kind of a simple one. What have Stoops and those guys done to sort of reshape the culture there at Kentucky? Because for years that was a program built around very clearly, you know, I don't want to say a gimmicky offense because it wasn't that because they were chucking it for lots and lots of yards, had some good running backs kind of mix in there a little bit. But they almost tried to kind of outscore people, and there was a lot of finesse in that program and timing and precision and things. And now they're just kind of trying to do what a lot of other teams in the ICC are doing. But they're having some success doing that. They've not broken free, you know, broken through against some of the, the top, top, top teams in the league, I guess. But up front now they look like – an SEC football team on both lines of scrimmage. And that is different for, for that program. And is it just because they've they've really emphasized going into Ohio and getting some of those Midwest boys? Or, or what's it been to, to kind of change the culture of that group? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and that's really kind of a recent, that's probably I mean, even four or five years in the Stoops tenure, the defense was still not very good. Matter of fact, going on the 2018 year, I can remember and that was their 10 win season where they had a, a really phenomenal defense, actually, even, even national standards, they were pretty good. I'd written a column after the 2017 season, basically saying that like, either it's going to happen for Stoops this year, this defense, or it's not because they had basically the whole team coming back. And a lot of those guys had invested a lot of snaps in over the last three or four years. And I think that year really set it in motion. Yes, you had the best player in college football in terms of defense that year, or arguably the best yeah. in Josh Allen. And having that, a guy that, like that, that, that on that's your defense. A, that's, not, that's, not, that's not hyperbole. He's really, he was really, really good. Yeah. So, I mean, when you have that, I think it makes your defense look a lot better. Um, but at that time, a lot of those guys on the defensive line were still young. Quentin Bohanna was just a sophomore that year. He's now a senior. He's played pretty much every single game of his Kentucky career. Um, Marquand McCall, like they have some quality depth now. Marquand McCall is a four-star recruit, and he's never started at Kentucky, but he's played a lot, but he's been behind Bohanna, a guy who's been a little bit better than him. But there's not a huge drop-off when he gets out there. Uh, and then they've, you know, we talk about Josh Allen, like Calvin Taylor was a really good success story last year. He was a guy who was pretty much a no-star recruit, and he didn't even sign in February. He, he waited to sign in like May. Of the of the senior year, six foot nine, like a huge project, and then he turns out uh, to be. I think he pushed for. I can't remember if he made an All SEC team last year or not, but he was a he was a really good player for them last season. So he's done a really good job developing. I think Stoops has made some really good hires coaching the defense. Um, but it is an interesting point you make. Like it almost seems like you don't see many teams that have a three hundred and sixty pound you know nose guard anymore. It's just it's kind of rare in that way that that's what they're still doing and it's been pretty successful for them they don't really get run all over anymore uh in general they're pretty good on the ground where like any defense really get in some trouble is you know if the team goes a little bit of tempo they start getting into a spot where it's not gonna be an obvious pass or an obvious you know run situation like any defense that's where they kind of have some trouble and mm -hmm. that's why i'm gonna be interested because tennessee's really like these first three teams they played were all offensive-minded, I think, type teams. They all had offensive head coaches, whereas Tennessee, I mean, Pruitt and Stoops are probably a little bit alike. Oh, yeah. I know Jim Chaney's been around a long time, and this won't be a new offense that they're seeing. But uh, it'll it'll be kind of like the first balanced type attack, I would say, that they've seen this season. Yeah, and, you know, to, to give you a, just sort of a an insight into what they – you know, the, in terms of, of coaching and what people think of Stoops on the defense, you know, Pruitt took over as the d defensive coordinator at Florida State from Stoops because Stoops left and then Pruitt came in that year and they won the national championship and Pruitt's only year there at Florida State. But he, he came in there for Stoops and he said to Stoops' great compliment, he said he'll always respect the guy from this day forward because when he stepped in at Florida State, he saw from day one he did not have to teach those guys how to play hard. He did not have to teach them defensive fundamentals. He didn't have to teach them the basic things you need to do to compete and to play at a high level because they had already been coached to do that. And I don't know if he'll put it in these exact words, but that was not necessarily the case when he got to Tennessee in, in some ways. So I, I think he, he, he knows, and there's a lot of respect there, um, but, you know, I mean, you know, Stoops, they've had some nice wins. I mean, they've they've – They've uh, they've beaten Tennessee, you know. They've they've at some point, you know, they've done that. They they somehow exercised the Florida demon. Um, but what is it about? And I got to ask you about this because you, you you've been around that program, you know, for a while. You're not you know you're not, certainly not an old guy like some of us, but you know you know what it means to when people say, "Oh man, that is so Kentucky." And I gotta wonder, players say those things don't bother them right like we live in an instant world where people don't care about what happened five minutes ago but there have been just been so many times when kentucky gets into a close game or something happens and it's just like really that happened that's how you lost the game and we've seen that so many times against tennessee over the years against florida we saw it earlier this season against Ole miss i mean how first off do you believe that things like that kind of infect a culture or not? Because I, I understand both sides of that argument, but I'm curious as to what you think. And if it is an issue, how do you get past it? With the fan base, no question. I mean, I don't I don't know many people who look – I mean, I think people look forward to this game just because, I mean, it is – at least up here, I would certainly categorize it as a rivalry game. I don't know how Tennessee people view it because no, they it's win a, so it's a, you know, It's a rivalry game. Yeah, I mean, people – 
it's your borderline rival. I mean, the basketball series, I don't want to turn it into this as you get the, you know, kind of cliche that Kentucky people only care about basketball, which is not true at all. Um, the basketball series has been phenomenal the last few years because both teams win. And, uh, and it's going to keep, it's gonna keep being that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, with your question, though, with the players, it's always hard for me to say because, I mean, there was a kid yesterday, Phil Hoskins, a starting defensive tackle, who said when he went down to Knoxville two years ago, he didn't even realize that it was a rivalry game. Now, was he exaggerating? Maybe. But it's a kid from Toledo, Ohio. Like, wouldn't surprise me if he never watched Kentucky and Tennessee play football until he got to Lexington. So, like, part of those things I understand. But with the with the fan base, there's no question that it's kind of, you know, what's going to go wrong now? Uh, and last year – what I told people last year is I had no doubt if Kentucky had a second goal from the one or whatever it was last year when they got stuffed three times. Like, if they were playing South Carolina, they probably would have punched it in the first play. But for whatever reason, when they played Tennessee, they came up short there. I can remember growing up, uh, Andre Woodson in 2007, the yep. game that went to four overtimes. Yep. I don't know how many people from Tennessee remember this. Kentucky had a chance to win it in regulation. He dropped I was, the I was the there. Yard line. I was there covering that game. I remember it a I lot mean, of snaps. Then he, and then he threw a – he had an open guy in the end zone, but he was kind of just trying to throw it away at that point. So, like, there have been a lot of games, and that's just two examples that – it's it's them. And I mentioned it when you were on our podcast, Kentucky Daily. Like, not only does Kentucky, their fans, have to go through this with Tennessee, like, it's kind of the same deal with Florida. Like, they have just as many gut-wrenching losses against Florida um, as they do Tennessee. But I think what's probably frustrated the fan base the most – and this is not a – I'm, I'm really not trying to, like, knock Tennessee – it's like if you look at the records, though, Tennessee's record is not that much better than Kentucky's over the last, I don't know, six, seven years. And there's some caveats there. You could there, probably you know. go to the past 10, 12 years. Ten, there has been a yeah. – Tennessee has been an open sore for like, you know, for the better part of like a decade. So it's – yeah, I mean, it's – you, 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 you will though, not be offending – you will not be offending <laughs> any Tennessee people by saying that. I promise you. Tennessee fans know as well as anyone what kind of 10, 12 years it's been for this program. But the big difference I would say in this, though, is that they have continued to be Kentucky, whereas even not Vanderbilt has had more success against Tennessee mm-hmm. than Kentucky has. And Kentucky basically beats Vanderbilt every year now. I don't know. That's going to shift. I mean, Vanderbilt's not going to continue to beat Tennessee with the stability that the Vols have now. Um, so I think that's probably the bigger thing. And it's, it's one of the biggest knocks on Stoops, really, is he's done a phenomenal job. They consist. They have a uh, five-game winning streak, I think, over Missouri. They had a five-game winning streak over South Carolina until last year. They've beaten Vanderbilt all but twice, I think, in the Stoops era. But you get to those other three teams. You get to Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee. And listen, you're not going to get anybody saying that Kentucky should consistently beat Georgia or Florida. But I would have put Tennessee in that range. Like He should have a better record probably. I mean, the 2018 game was really no excuse with the team that they had to get Correct. not only lose but to kind of get beat down. And Knoxville by that team. And you I mean you could say Kentucky was coming off an emotional letdown, I guess. They had played Georgia for the SEC East the week before, and I don't know how much it mattered. But at the same time, that was a five win Tennessee team at the end of the year, and Kentucky won 10 games. So it was a game Kentucky should have won, and uh, they let that get away. I will say Stoops is certainly aware of that. I mean, it's kind of the last of the bad streaks they have. I mean, to not beat a team on their home field since 1984 is. It's pretty ridiculous. I would say that even once in those meetings, you wouldn't have gotten lucky and found a way to win a game. So he's aware of it. I know he's always treated this as a really big game. I can remember his first year, which was also Butch Jones's first year at Tennessee, uh, where he was yelling on, on the sidelines at one of the refs, talking about how it was a rivalry game, and he was mad over a personal foul call. And back then, I mean, Kentucky had – I know Tennessee wasn't very good either, but Kentucky really – their roster – However bad he thought Tennessee's roster was, I can promise you Kentucky's was much, much worse once Joker Phillips left uh, left Kentucky. So he's always tried to make this game a big point of emphasis game. And anytime they beat Tennessee, and it's only happened twice my whole lifetime, like it's a big deal. And I know that winning in Knoxville would be a really big deal. And when you look at Kentucky's season, I mean, it would get them back to two and two. And I think it would really get a lot of people back on board. Not that people have totally jumped off, but you know, they still have Florida, they still have Alabama left on the schedule. Like, there are still some for sure losses uh, in Georgia as well that are, that are coming up for Kentucky. So it would be a big deal to to get this win. I remember even going back to like 2001 when Tennessee was, you know, ended up, you know, being basically a couple of bad plays away from a national title game that year. Um, and, and 
was ranked, I think, sixth or seventh or something, and Kentucky's up 21 nothing in the second quarter, and you're like, "How? what in the hell's happening here? And then, you know, the, the bottom just kind of fell out. I mean, I just, I, I've seen this, and Kentucky fought back in that game. I don't want to say they didn't. Lorenzen had some some really nice throws in that game. and But long story short, it's just they just seem to find a way in this game, and I don't, yeah. I just know how Tennessee fans are with Florida, and I, I just, you know, from the other side, it just seems like that's the deal with these with with Kentucky in this series. It just for whatever reason, it just happens that way. Before we let you go, Derek, I, I do want to ask, you know, if if you want to wait on giving some kind of a final score prediction, I get that, um, and that's no big deal. But in at least in general, how do you see, as specifically as you want to mention, how do you see this game going Saturday? Um, I think I've been on record saying something like, I don't know if I'm going to say like 34-24 Tennessee or 31-21 Tennessee. 31-23. Some somewhere in that range, I think, is where I'm thinking for this game. But but what 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 how do you see this shaping up? I feel pretty confident that, that Tennessee will win this game. Um and a lot of it's just the reasons I mentioned earlier. Like, yeah, I think Kentucky might have a little bit of success running the ball. Although in general, I mean Tennessee's been pretty good against Kentucky stopping the run. Obviously, last year the only thing Kentucky did was was run the ball. Uh, but even in 2018, they held Benny Snell in that offense to I think 77 rushing yards. So They've done a pretty good job. As far as a score, I've been trying to debate. It really comes down to how much I think Tennessee will score. And I really think Kentucky's defense will, will put up a decent effort. I was thinking somewhere like 24-10-ish. Pretty similar. I think it could be a kind of a similar game to 2018 where it doesn't get to like total blowout territory, but there was really no doubt that Tennessee was going to win that game. That's how I see it shaking out Saturday. I feel like the only thing maybe Kentucky could hope for that might be in its favor, and we really won't have anyone knowing this. And we talked about it on our podcast when you were on. Is it is a sandwich game for Tennessee coming off a game against Georgia that they really got up for, and then they got Alabama next week. But um, I just at the end of the day, I just think Tennessee is a little bit better, and I think Kentucky will still go on to have a decent season. But I've also been in the camp, especially really after 2018, where I'm not going to pick Kentucky to win in Knoxville until I actually see it. That's fair. That's that's sort of my general principle when Tennessee goes down to Gainesville every other year as I say well I I don't know what's going to happen but I know what the score is going to be I mean I I I know that I don't know exactly what will fall apart but I know they're not that bus isn't coming back with every wheel left on it I mean something's going to happen a wheel's <laughs> going to fall off somewhere it's just it's just kind of how it is but you know, I don't know. We'll we'll see. I mean, Ten- Rodriguez did some good things against Tennessee last season. He's a good player. Um, you know, Kentucky. You know, if Pascal plays up front, that that helps them. And Bohanna's a load there. So I mean, that there, there's some there's some matchups Tennessee's got to be wary of, and also the fact that it's a you know the sandwich game. I mean, I think you know you play a team in between Georgia and Alabama that you got to be concerned about that. And I said that from the second I saw this pop up on the schedule, as soon as I saw the schedule, I said that Kentucky game looks dangerous because it's in between Georgia and Bama. And, you know, you're probably throwing out some stuff against Georgia, putting some stuff out there on film. And then you probably, you're trying to save some stuff for Bama if you can. And physically the, the drain from that game. I mean, I just, you know, I think the way that that game ended with Tennessee kind of fighting their, you know, tooth and nail with Georgia for a while before just falling apart on offense. I think that probably helps the team stay motivated this week, but you never really know. I mean, that's just kind of it's kind of the way of the world now. Derek, before we get out of here, let us know again uh, how people can can find you, the site, uh, the social media, the podcast, all that good stuff. Yeah, you can find the work at uh, catspaws.com. Uh, on Twitter, you can follow me at Derek S. Terry. It's D-E-R-E-K-S Terry. And then the podcast, Kentucky Daily, you can find it wherever you find your podcast, uh, Spotify, Apple, all those good things. And uh, it's pretty much it. I mean, my, my DMs are open on Twitter if you want to come in. and You want to slide in those DMs? Yeah, if you want to tell me how wrong I am on anything or what you disagree with me, I'm always open to it. So I really appreciate you having me on, Wes. This has been a lot of fun. No problem, man. Anytime. And as I promised earlier, there's Gus making his appearance in the background <laughs> of this podcast. You can hear him. And now that uh, that's like uh, the music at the Academy Awards saying wrap it up now that Gus is barking. So uh, I think I'm going to do that. But thanks again for joining us, Derek, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. And guys, you know what? Thank you for listening too. Thank you for listening out there. We say this every week, mostly every week, mostly every every, mostly the two or three times a week we do this podcast, we say thank you. But we need to do it every time, just to be sure. 
So thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown's P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. And Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. If you want just Tennessee news, you can get that all the time on Twitter at twitter.com slash govols247. That is all vols all the time. You can also uh, get Tennessee news at facebook.com slash govols247. Tons of good stuff on there as always. Uh, or if you want to cut through all that and you want that delicious East Tennessee mountain spring water, just just right from the tap. Get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets to discuss Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, baseball, Lady Vols coverage, where Maria Cornelius does an awesome job covering the Lady Vols for us. You can get all of that for less than one mediocre lunch per month. That's it. Less than one mediocre lunch a month gets you access to GoVols247. And if you go ahead and pay us full price... You get free access in perpetuity to CBS All Access, which is CBS's streaming platform, where you can get every show CBS has ever made, every show they've ever made, every show, commercial free. Also get new movies every every month. Uh, You get live sports. You get SEC football, SEC basketball, NFL football, uh, March Madness, NCAA basketball, UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, World Series of Poker stuff. All kinds of other sports coverage, live and on demand also. And you get stuff from the different catalogs. You get Comedy Central, you get um, BET, MTV, and Smithsonian, and the Nickelodeon for the kids. So all kinds of stuff. That's a $100 annual value you get for free. For free. For $0.00 and 0 cents if you become a full-paying member of GoVols 24-7 or Cat's Paws. I should say that since Derek is on this podcast also. So go do that. What are you waiting for? Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Go do that. If nothing else, guys, you should hear from us after Saturday's game, probably sometime Saturday night, unless breaking news happens before then, and it's Tennessee, so who the hell knows? It could be breaking news anytime. You never really know. But if nothing else, you will hear from us on Saturday night. See you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.